Take your Bibles and turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, your word is clear. It speaks to our hearts and shows us areas where we need to turn to you. It encourages us on your grace working within us. It reminds us of who Christ is and what he has done for us. It reminds us of who he is and who we are in him. God, your, your calling is great. Your standard is high. The holiness that you display and you require is impossible apart from your grace. But by your grace, we walk with you and learn from you. We pray today that as we look at your word, that we will understand it, that we will apply it to our hearts, that the Spirit of God will transform us. We pray that if there's any in here that doesn't know you as their Redeemer and their Savior and their God, that you will open their eyes to know the glory of your love and your kindness towards them at the cross. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
Just an additional note tonight, we have a, a missionary pilot to Papua New Guinea uh, who will be here at the first 10 minutes of service tonight that will be speaking. Y'all are all welcome to come, and after that, Mark will be preaching from Genesis, and then he will go and speak to our, uh, our, our youth tonight. Uh, he is a missionary kid. His, uh, he grew up in a missionary family in Papua New Guinea, so I thought it would be really good for our children to hear from him. Uh, and be encouraged by him, and also you, for you to hear about his ministry. His name is Andrew Smith. So please come tonight and uh, pray for him and his ministry. You'll hear about it a little bit tonight. So what makes a healthy church? That's where we are. We're making our way through the book of Titus. Remember, this is one of the three uh, pastoral epistles, one of the letters written by Paul to help Titus and Timothy know how to establish healthy churches in the area. And for Timothy, it was the churches that were around Ephesus. For Titus, it was the churches that were around the island of Crete. So these letters are written later in Paul's ministry and kind of give a great overview of what a church should look like, what a healthy church looks like. So you could study all three of them together and, and get a good idea of what a healthy church looks like. If we look out at the professing church in America today, we might think that a healthy church is a church with a large church building. Uh, a healthy church is a church with a lot of people. A healthy church is a church with a lot of programs, or a hip youth pastor, or a culturally relevant pastor. A church that uh, the world is maybe praising. That's what the world, or that's what uh, the American evangelical church as a whole says is a healthy church. It, it's that church that has a daycare, or a school, or especially a great stage with lots of lights and a smoke machine. Uh, uh, that's a, a healthy church. No. A church that's polished and professional. A church that feeds the poor of the community. A church that has a Starbucks where people can meet and talk. A church where everyone is smiling. And it's a great place to go get professional leads for your business. That's not a healthy church, necessarily. Scripture doesn't appear to mention any of these things. The pastoral epistles don't mention any of that. Paul wrote these letters in Titus to instruct Titus on how he should go and teach these churches what a healthy church is, what it looks like. Beloved, the good news is it's not rocket science. It really isn't complex. It isn't a great business model, thankfully, because that is not my gifting or any of the elders. I admit it. However, it isn't easy. In fact, a healthy church is impossible without the all-powerful work of God in it. But by God's grace, a healthy church is possible. And that's good news, beloved. God is working in his church to make healthy churches. We're looking at Titus and learning exactly what a healthy church looks like. 
Remember, just to get your head around it, the book lays out into the introduction found in verses 1 to 4. Then he sets out with three sermonettes, for lack of a better term, uh, three points, three main ideas, main truths that describe a healthy church in the book of Titus. First, they're set in order that which is crooked. We saw that last week in verses 5 to 16. And he accomplishes that with the help of appointing elders, remember? And as he appoints elders, what do they do? They help to rebuke sternly those who are in false teachers, that are false teachers, and that are leading those astray. Set in order what is crooked. Do that with the help of the elders. Second, we'll see today healthy living fit for healthy doctrine. Healthy living in each member of the church fit for healthy doctrine. That's found in chapter 2. Last week we did a, approximately 11 verses. This week we're going to do approximately 15 verses. You're like, man, we are never getting out of here. So hang in there. And then next week we'll learn what the third main point is. And finally, we'll see the conclusion in verses 12 to 15. The hope is, is I can do this in roughly four, five sermons. Let's look at today's passage, though. In chapter 2, there is an opening exhortation found in verse 1. Then there's, I want you to notice, and by the way, there's notes. If you didn't get them, you, you can share them or whatever. Notice that point A and point B are the exact same. They are healthy living for healthy doctrine, fit for healthy doctrine. And point B is what? Healthy living fit for healthy doctrine. But notice that one of them is capitalized and the other one isn't all capitalized. Well, it's because that's what's the emphasis. In the first section, it appears that healthy living fit for healthy doctrine. Healthy living is the emphasis on the individual basis. And then the second part is healthy living fit for healthy doctrine. That's the emphasis and found in verses 11 to 14. So really the whole chapter says the same thing, but there's just different emphasis, okay? Different emphasis. The first half is on what it looks like healthy living, what believers that are walking and in the faith look like, solid church of healthy walking believers compared to healthy doctrine. By the way, I'm not talking about health physically. You know that, right? We can be very physically ill, but still be healthy Christians. Isn't that good news? It's not based on our physical that we're talking about here. The reason why I use the word healthy is because that word, as we'll see in a little bit, is a word that Paul uses throughout it, throughout this section. The purpose, and then so you get then the concluding exhortation is found in verse 15, and it wraps it up. Look at it, by the way, just the beginning. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Does that sound like these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority? Let no one disregard you. So they're bookends. Those truths kind of repeat some of the same ideas. Some have argued in chapter 2, verse 1, that Speak the things which are fitting. It's not talking about exhorting and rebuking or anything like that. I would beg to differ. The word speak can imply all those other things. And then he develops it in verse 15. Speak, exhort, reprove. So it's the 
It's the same truth. So what are these things? We'll talk about it as we go along. The purpose of the second main section of Paul's letter to Titus is this, ultimately. A healthy church teaches its members to live in a way that is fit for those who know healthy doctrine. We teach it. A church teaches what is healthy living, fit for a healthy doctrine, for those who know Christ. Healthy living, you could say it this way, healthy living suitable for healthy doctrine. How we should live in light of healthy doctrine. Right behavior, proper for sound doctrine. So, everybody get it? Everybody understand the basic idea? That's what the chapter is all about. So let's walk down through the passage, and I, I, I kind of made a, 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 an emphasis in my own heart that I want to focus on B more than A, but we'll see how that works. You know how that works. So let's walk down the passage. First, notice the opening exhortation. In verse 1 it says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Now, what are the things? Speak the things. Well, they're the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. What are the things? Well, the things would be verses 2 to 10. The things, the way that we live, how we are supposed to act, our character, our deeds, who we are. But notice it starts with the word what? But. What's is implied what? It's contrasting something. What's it contrasting? It's contrasting the false teachers previously. The false teaching of chapter 1. It's, again, not broken up into chapters when Paul wrote it. It's carrying on this whole idea. It's one big letter, and it all ties together, and it's perfect. Notice, but, important, note, contrast, the wrong living of the false teachers. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 15, to the pure all things are pure. Talking about the believers, all things are about being pure. But to those who are defiled and unbeliever, uh, unbelieving, those who are lost, nothing is pure. In fact, but their minds and their consciences are defiled. They are what? Lost. They're defiled. The unbelieving world, this is what it is. It's, their minds and their consciences are defiled. They may profess to know God, the false teachers did. We know God. We know his law. We want to teach his law. But by their deeds, they deny him. By the way they live, they show that they really don't know him. Even though they say they know him, they don't really know him. So what? They may say doctrine, but they don't really know doctrine. They don't understand truth. They don't understand the Bible. They haven't embraced the Bible. And so therefore what? The truth of the gospel. Their deeds expose them. What do they do? They're detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So a healthy church is what? A contrast to what the false teachers were teaching and how they were living. That's a healthy church. A healthy church is one that avoids what false teachers teach and do. The defiled and unbelieving were who? Verse 10 to 13. They were the rebellious mentioned, right? That he had previously explained. And they were like how they were characterized as Cretans. 
What are Cretans like, beloved? They're always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. This is who the false teachers were. They were like their fellow citizens on Crete. They were always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. They professed to know God, but their deeds denied him. Their lives revealed that they didn't really know God in a saving way because the saving grace of God wasn't working in them. God had not redeemed them, and they were still dead in their sins. But Paul here starts this next major statement and section with an exhortation to teach and speak that which is fitting for sound, healthy teaching. Live, be, act like the healthy doctrine that you teach and hear. This is the main theme of the chapter. A healthy church speaks, teaches, encourages its members to ex- exactly how Paul taught, told Timothy to speak, teach, and exhort. So, how do we know if we're a healthy church? Well, do we do this? <laughs> do we say and do and teach and proclaim what the scriptures say? Do we teach it? That will tell you whether or not we're a healthy church. Are we doing it? And are we then following it? That's one of my prayers this morning was is that we would all have ears to hear, right? That we would not just hear the word, but we would what? Do the word. That we'd be doers, not just hearers of the word, right? So what's a healthy church? It's a church that hears the word of God and then responds to the word of God with obedience. And obedience and following him. That's a healthy church. You say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm not, I'm not always obedient. Uh, neither am I. But by grace through faith in Christ, I'm always turning to him, trusting in him, depending upon him, and he's working through me to continue to repent. I live a life of constant turning back to him, right? All of us. And the direction of my life is what? Righteousness. Righteousness, the direction of my life. Is it perfect? No. But that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. That's what we're aiming for, and that's what God's grace is doing through us to in this world, despite everything else that's going on. So what we teach and emphasize among our membership is very important. And Paul gives us a chapter, a great overview, of what should be emphasized in our church, just like what should have been in all the churches on the island of Crete. Put simple, healthy lives suitable for healthy doctrine. Healthy lives suitable for healthy doctrine. You know, it it often works out that uh, people think and emphasize one without the other, but they both work perfectly together. It's not just clean up the outside of the cup, be good people. It's healthy doctrine is produces what? Healthy living. Heart changes, transformations, God working in us. As we hear the word of God, it transforms our heart and causes us to obey him. Right? All the various groups of the people in the church should demonstrate, you'll see them in this next section, should demonstrate the character that matches the great saving grace of God at work in them. You notice in verse 11, that's what verse 11 to 14 is all about. It's the grace of God that's working. It's the doctrine. It's the healthy doctrine that produces healthy living. 
verses 2 to 10 talk about the healthy living. That should be, is proper for a church that has embraced healthy doctrine. So look at the first point. Here's the first point. There are five groups of people in the church that Paul wanted Titus to address with his exhortation to right living in light of right doctrine. They are who? Older men, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and slaves. Anybody left out? Nope. Some of y'all in the room, well, I'm a middle-aged. Middle-aged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets all of us. There's, you're either older or you're younger, and you fit in there. And then there's the slaves. You say, well, none of us are slaves. Well, no, praise the Lord, slavery is gone. At the same time, we all have employers. We're working for people. Some of us are independent, I understand, but you still are serving God as you work and you're serving people. So it applies. Interestingly enough, Paul encourages Titus to directly address four out of the five groups. Notice I have younger women kind of pushed over to the right. That wasn't a mistake in my PowerPoint, unlike most point times. Let's intentionally put over the side. He directly addresses older men, older women, younger men, and younger and slaves, rather, but not younger women. It's interesting that he does this. It may suggest that the older women are to pull a lot of the weight on teaching the younger women what is good. At the same time, it implies by it being written down, what? That it's still truth, and it is still what younger women should do. But he's indirectly addressing them as well. He also includes him, uh, Titus himself in the younger men in the fourth section, which is very interesting to me. I also want you to note a, a common characteristic that runs down through the whole section. It's the idea of sensible. This is a key point. I want you to mark this down. Sensible. We must be sensible. A healthy church is a, a membership that is sensible. Arguably, this is the most important characteristic that Paul thinks of, is, thinks is fit for sound doctrine or healthy doctrine. Those who embrace and know Jesus Christ. They're sensible. Sensible is used several different times in several different parts of speech. There's an adjectival form in verse 2 and 5, and then there's the verb form in, chapter, in verse 4, and then the infinitive form in verse 6, and then an adverb form in verse 12. So it requires qualifications also. It's one of the required qualifications in chapter 1, verse 8 of who? The elders. Sensible. He keeps saying sensible. So what is this word sensible? It's related to prudence or wisdom or self-control. We're supposed to be self-controlled. It means in control of oneself, prudent, thoughtful, of sound mind. One who is sensible practices good judgment, moderation, discretion, is sound of mind and is reasonable. We are supposed to be this kind of people. A healthy church is people that are filled with people that are in control of oneself. Prudent, thoughtful, of sound mind, reasonable, discreet. 
Do you notice that that's the opposite of the culture of the, that they lived on? What was the culture described as on the island of Crete? They were always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. What's the opposite of that? Being sensible, reasonable. You know, as the world goes crazy, we as believers should be what? Sensible, discreet, not trying. You know, we're the people that kind of give a calming influence to the world. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're not supposed to rile things up. We're supposed to be the ones that are what? Discreet, reasonable, sensible. Does that make sense? That's a healthy church, by the way. We're not losing our mind over every news report. Right? We just walk reasonably. We walk knowing that God's in control. And we trust Him. So part of a healthy life that has been transformed by God's saving grace is people being who are sensible. Another key word that's mentioned throughout this section is the idea of sound or healthy, like I mentioned. The Greek word here is where we get our word hygiene, hygiene from, sound, doctrine, healthy doctrine. The word means sound or healthy or free from error or defilement. A form of this word is used numerous times in this chapter. For example, in chapter 2, verse 1, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. Speak the things which are fitting for healthy doctrine, doctrine that is free from error, as opposed to what? The false teachers that were teaching what? Doctrine that was full of errors. And that led to what? Defiled, living. Listen, beloved, it's real simple. It's not complex. Healthy doctrine produces healthy living, right? Wrong doctrine produces what? Wrong living. It's the way the world is. Do we, are we shocked by the world? No, we look at the world and we say, no, this is their view of God. As they don't understand who God is, they don't understand the gospel, therefore they live like what? The world. But we as believers, what? Know who God is. We know that he is our great God and Savior, and that he's redeemed us, and that he's bought us, and that he's paid for our sin, and so therefore we what? Live different. We're a light in this world. Notice in verse 2 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, and sound. Again, same word, healthy in three areas, older men in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Healthy in faith, healthy in their dependence upon God, sound in their dependence upon God, healthy in love. Dependent upon and healthy in their sacrifice for others, laying down their lives for others. Healthy in perseverance or endurance. They hang on. Older men, listen to me, men. You are supposed to be the example of healthy faith, healthy love, healthy endurance. I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things about our church and one of the things that encourages me the most and shows to me that we have a very healthy church is the older men in our church. They're not blown to and fro. I, I, I can know that if I need, I have a problem, an issue, I can go up to, to Bill Shirley and say, hey, help me. What do you think? 
And he's solid as a rock. And he's like, please don't say that. I'm just a normal man. You are, but the grace of God is working in you, Mr. Bill. If you don't know Bill Shirley and Bob, Bradbury, these guys, Bill Hogan, you need to know these gentlemen. These are the older gentlemen in our church that are what? Healthy in faith, healthy in love, healthy in endurance. Al, my father-in-law. Again, with time becomes stability because the grace of God has been working in these men for years. Praise God, right? This is what a healthy church is. It's filled with healthy men, older men. Notice in verse 8, younger men are supposed to be sound in speech. Healthy in speech. It's like every young man in the whole congregation needs to hear this one, right? This is to be without error, defiled in speech. For a young man to be sound in speech is to be, it says it, to be beyond reproach. You can't be blameless, blame, or you can't be blamed for anything. You're above reproach because of what you say. Your speech is healthy. The way believers talk reveals that we are innocent and followers of Christ. Healthy talk reveals we have healthy doctrine and we've embraced it. If we swear like sailors, is it possible that the doctrine of God's grace is what? Not instructing us at that moment. We need God's grace more in our life. If our tongues sound like the world, then we need what? God's grace to work in us so that we what? Show it. Lastly, I want you to notice how in the section right living or healthy character is Healthy character is emphasized, but the link to the healthier sound doctrine is also mentioned and alluded to throughout this section. This is found especially in the purpose clauses. Notice, notice verse 5. The young women's character and behavior reflects on the word of God. In other words, how they act reflects on what they believe. Notice it says, so that the word of God will not be dishonored or blasphemed. So the way the young women live, what? has purpose, and the purpose is this, so that the word of God will not be dishonored or blasphemed. How they act, these younger women, will show what they believe, and it reflects on the word of God. How they act reflects on the truth, because young ladies of the church identify with the word of God and what it reveals about them in Christ. Beloved, y'all know this. How many times have you heard this? The idea is that our lives match what we believe. And they show what we believe. And they show what we believe of the Word of God. If our lives are no different than the world, then we say what? The Word of God doesn't matter to us and it's not necessarily true. Right? Notice in verse 8. The young men's speech makes them beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing to say about them. Who is the opponent, by the way? Well, in light of the context, I believe it's the false teachers or the rebellious ones in chapter 1. Those who come in to distort truth teach false doctrine. When a young man is healthy in speech, they silence the false teachers. 
They can't accuse them of not being truly changed by the gospel. Put real simple, how we talk matters. How we live matters. We must not blaspheme God's word or his name or who he is by what we act, how we act. You say, well, Pastor Mike, all you're doing is give me a list of rules. This is how I'm supposed to be. Well, beloved, I'm not doing it. It's what the passage says. It's not me. This is what it says. Take it up with the author. He tells you to clean up your mouth. He tells you to act right. You got a problem with it? Take it up with God. It's his word. I know that was a little harsh. But hear me. It's the truth. It's what it says. The good news is, is that he empowers us with the grace in order to do it. Right? And because we know Christ. To live different from the world is what? A privilege. An opportunity. It's what I want to do. Because he bought me. And I'm his possession. And I'm his slave. And whatever he says to do, I want to do. How about you? How we talk reflects that we are bought. How we talk reflects that we are bought. If we're slandering people, gossiping, talking rudely, sound like a sailor, blaspheming God, it says, I'm not really a blood-bought Christian. So let's briefly look at the healthy lives of the various people. Let's just walk down it real quick, okay? It's not going to be complicated. You know, I've said this before, I can't stress it enough. I think the Bible is so clear. What happens is, is when the application starts flowing in God's Word, it's like it becomes super clear. It's like you don't have to, you don't need a pastor. All i got to do is read it to you. You're going to get it, okay? It's almost like us with our children, right? When we really want them to do something, are those the points, parents, when we stop and we think and we say, okay, I want to make very clear, and I'm going to make it as simple as you can understand. Do not dive into the shallow end of the pool. You understand? You got it? You will break your neck. It's very clear. That's what he did here. Look at it. Look how clear it is. Look what he says. First, the older men. Older men are to be temperate. That means sober-minded. Dignified. Worthy of respect. Sensible. Oh, that word. Prudent, wise, and self-controlled. Sound in faith. Sound in your trust and dependence upon God. Healthy, also sound in love. Healthy in their sacrificial love of others. In perseverance. Sound in their endurance. Because it does get harder as you get older. You have to be healthy in your endurance even though your body becomes unhealthy. You have to be sound despite things going down. Older women. Look at it. Very simple. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent. This literally means fit for holiness in their behavior. Older women, you are supposed to be fit for holiness in your behavior. 
Not malicious gossips. This word is hilarious. Not really. Not, not, not literally, but it made me laugh a little bit. Not malicious gossips. You know, it's diabolos. Not devils. Not devils. Older women, you're not allowed to be devils. Do you understand? No devils among the other older ladies. What's that mean? Well, the devil was the slanderer. He is the slanderer. He's the one that's always accusing and always slandering, right? Blaspheming God. But they're not supposed to be these slanderers, malicious gossips, devils. Nor enslaved to much wine. That's not really complicated, is it? Don't be controlled by wine. Don't be enslaved by wine. Teach him what is good. Teach him what is worthy of praise. This is what older ladies are supposed to do. They're teaching what is worthy of praise. What is that? What is worthy of praise? We'll talk about this. What is good? Well, I think it's developed in verse 4. So that they may encourage insensibility. It doesn't say that in your passage. I know it doesn't. But that's actually what the word means. Encourage and sensibility, bringing that idea of sensible all the way through. It's instruct in prudence. Instruct in prudence. Older women are supposed to instruct in what is prudent. They're supposed to teach younger women what is prudent, sensible. By the way, what does that imply the older women are? Sensible. Sensible. They're prudent. Prudent, prudent or sensible, right? Because if, they do not, if they're not sensible, how do they teach? What is sensible? You must be sensible in order to teach what is sensible. Right? The older women have this responsibility. It is to instruct what is prudent. What is this? Again, God tells us. It says it. Look at it in the passage. To love their husbands. To love their husbands. To love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. What's this imply of the older women? They know these things and they do these things. Right? If older women aren't doing these things, can they teach these things? No, because what's the cry of the younger woman then? Hypocrite! You say do this, but you don't do this. Right? Love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, submissive to their own husbands. Now, I admit our society doesn't call this prudent or wise or righteous, does it? Does the world say that this is good teaching? No, our country, our society, our culture says this is oppressive teaching. That's what it says. It's oppressive teaching. But this is what God's word says is good. Hmm. This is what older ladies are supposed to teach younger ladies to be engaged in. Why? Because with age brings opportunity for older ladies. Opportunity to teach what we've learned in our lifelong battle with our own flesh. Right, ladies? All older women in the congregation don't say they've arrived at any of these. Do you? You're not perfect in any of these, do you? But you understand what? God is working in you and through you and helping you to grow in grace and knowledge of Him and to mature. And beloved, hear me. Mature believers have 
gold to share with the younger people in the congregation. By the way, I am and I will tell you that our church does push really back against the cultural model of breaking everybody out into groups. I want you to hear me. We do. We push heavy against it. I think we should, we should push back even more, to be perfectly honest. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what happens. Who do my children like to hang out with? Well, they like to hang out with the ones that are just like them. <laughs> right? The ones that are same age, that like the same things, and do the same things. Right? But what does the Bible say a healthy church is? The Bible says that a healthy church is a place where older women teach younger women. Hmm. And older men instruct younger men. And even younger men talk to older men. Who's the younger man in this picture? Titus. Who's he supposed to instruct? Older men. Hmm. Let no one disregard you. See, it's truth, it's truth, it's truth. And it's interacting with those groups. So as much as we want to divide out in order and get in these age groups and have these little sections and these little cliques, because it's easier to fellowship. Beloved, hear me. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, I know... I know, I just stepped on a whole bunch of toes. Sorry. The Bible says we're supposed to interact with each other about the one main purpose, which is what? The proclamation of the gospel to the world that's lost and dying. That's what we're supposed to be about. Making disciples of one another. Why is it that in our culture we think the elderly are to be ignored? And the young are the so-called wise ones. The, who is the young lady that is the foremost expert on climate change? The 12-year-old or 13-year-old girl that everybody looks to and says, Oh, wow! Yeah. It's our society. It's backwards. The world has gone crazy. We let our eight-year-olds decide what gender they want to be? Are you kidding me? Talk to somebody older. They'll tell you what your gender is. They'll make it very clear. Hi. Sorry. Please forgive me. There's just a little bit of hey. When we as a society think we have somehow progressed past the morality of the Bible, we in fact have began to redefine righteousness and justice in our own eyes. And before we know it, we will be calling evil good and good evil. Be careful of allowing the church to do the very same thing. Our society thinks the biblical description of womanhood is outdated and oppressive. But God says this is what's important. 
So should we be listening to our society and our culture to determine our moral compass? Beloved, no. A healthy church doesn't listen to the society. It listens to its healthy members who are solid on their healthy doctrine. And God is working in them. If the Cretan churches would have listened to their culture to determine their morality, they would, have been, they would have ended up being what? Liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. But church members who are healthy know what the doctrine of God says, and we're supposed to be sensible, righteous, and godly. Your lost co-workers don't determine what is healthy living, beloved. God's word does. A healthy church member is one who is teaching others what is good as revealed in the word of God. A healthy church member is one who is learning what is good from healthy seniors. This takes intentionality. You have to pursue ways. Ladies Bible study, by the way, is a great start for the ladies. 36 ladies yesterday started Philippians. I got a challenge for all you ladies in the room. I'm going to just say what my wife would not say. I'm going to say it, and she's going to be like, why did you do that? <laughs> she starts a new Bible study. It's always this way. There's 30 to 40 ladies, and by the end, there's the faithful five. <laughs> now, there's maybe a little bit more than that. But what's the point? It takes intentionality. It takes coming and engaging in these ladies' lives and working with them. And It takes both sides. You've got to do it, beloved. You've got to do it. If the only truth you hear is Sunday morning at service, you're going to fail. You're going to fall. I promise. Men, we must meet the first Saturday of the month. Healthy church is filled with people learning from one another what God wants us to do and think. And by the way, that doesn't just mean, it doesn't just mean getting together with coffee and chatting it up about the bucks. We all like to get together and talk about the things, the cool things. Come on, let's talk about who won and who lost. Intentionality includes what? Speaking truth into people's lives. I don't think we have to set, start 10 more Bible studies for that to happen. I think we all need to be more intentional to reach out to one another. So younger women, learn from older women. The young women learn to love, to be affectionate to their husbands, to love their children, to be affectionate to their children. It's not agape, agape it's phileo here, affection. To be sensible. You know, it's easy for mothers to love their children and their husbands by being sacrificial, but they don't like them. <laughs> they despise them. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? It's real easy. It's real easy for our hearts to be all about the duty and the activity and to be sacrificial, but, you know, think to yourself, <laughs> I wish he would just walk away. <laughs> Leave me. I think here we're talking about the affection. Affection. 
this guy is driving me batty. Get out of my sight. But I love him. To be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Next, Paul says, young men likewise urge the young men to be sensible, prudent. This is going to be a two-parter. I can't do it to you again. I won't do it to you again. Sorry. Notice young men likewise urge the young men to be sensible, prudent. Interestingly, it appears that Paul includes Titus here, as I mentioned. Look, in verse 7. In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine. It's almost like, hey, Titus, 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 listen, you're one of those young men. Listen. Make sure that you are an example of the good deeds with the purity of doctrine. Because after all, if you're going to be what? Teaching this and speaking this to others, you better what? Do what you say. Right? Again, good deeds are linked with purity of doctrine. Dignified, notice, a behavior that indicates one is serious or worthy of dignity. Young men, hear me. Hear me, young men. Dignified. That's a great word for us to put into our vocabulary and think through. Often the young men are the least dignified in the church. We know this, right? What do I mean by that? They basically don't do anything serious. Right? But here he's calling us to what? Be serious. Be dignified. Now, is there a time to laugh and have a good time? Yes, yes. I'm not saying never smile. Walk around stoic. No, but there is a seriousness that comes with being a follower of Jesus, isn't there? This is what he's saying. Take it up with him. It's not me. I'm not trying to bound you. I'm telling you this is what healthy living looks like. Sound in speech. As mentioned, healthy in speech which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame. Then Paul addresses the slaves in the congregation. It's estimated at this time in the Roman Empire, it was up to two-thirds of the population were slaves. So obviously there were many slaves in the congregation in Crete, in the congregations in Crete all over the island. So what did Paul say to the slaves, and how should they be encouraged and characterized? It's very interesting here. He doesn't even address the masters. Maybe there weren't many of them in there. Nine, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not talking back or against, not pilfering, stealing. But showing all good faith, demonstrating praiseworthy dependence upon God. This is the, what he talks about often in the slave but whenever he addresses, Paul addresses slaves in Ephesians, Colossians, Titus, Timothy, all these places. It's the same concept of having a fear and a reverence for God that kind of controls the way that you act towards your masters. An awareness of who God is then demonstrates itself in the way that you act towards those that are above you in authority. And again, praise the Lord, slavery is gone, right? But that doesn't mean, and one commentator worded it this way, it's perfect. It's how much more we who are voluntarily 
employed by other people should we then show the grace of God working in us. Yeah, sure, we're not slaves, but praise God, we have opportunity to show submission to authority. You know, beloved, I think this is probably one of the biggest problems in our society. It's a lack of submission to authority. And I think Paul's saying this throughout Titus. He's bringing this whole idea of subordination. and Subordinating ourselves, or putting ourselves under, hupotasso, to place ourselves under other people's authority. Beloved, when we do this right, when we do this right, we show up on time to our jobs, and we work harder than everybody else. What are we? We are a light to the world. The world says, why do you act like that? Why are you the guy that's always on time? Why are you the guy that says, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am? Why are you that person? Why are you the one that shows respect and honor to those that are above us? Why? You say, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Because Jesus Christ bought me. I'm his possession. He died for me. He rose from the dead. And God saved me. And I want to serve him. And as I serve him, I'm serving you. So what would you want me to do? I'm here for you. To serve you. Can you imagine? We'd stand out like a sore thumb, wouldn't we? It's real simple, beloved. Did God's word call these people to act in a certain way? Yes, even slaves. Yes, even slaves. Does it apply to us? Yes, absolutely it does. There are authorities. He's going to mention it in the beginning of chapter 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Submission to authority is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Because it says what? It's not about me. It's not about me. And only blood-bought Christians understand that, correct? Now, does that mean that we submit to them when they tell us to go against God? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Obviously, there's a time for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand up and say, oh, we will not bow. At the same time, there is a submission to authority that God has given us. And it's an opportunity to show off that we have healthy doctrine by living healthy lives. Let's stop there, okay? This is impossible, isn't it, beloved? How many of you say, yep, this is impossible. You don't know my boss. You don't know my husband. Right? Some of the ladies in the room. Beloved, by the grace of God that works within us, we can be who we are in Christ. Next week we'll see that healthy doctrine that makes it all possible. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Christ. Lord, we pray for anybody.
that doesn't know you. We pray that they will come to a saving knowledge of you and that they will see that you gave up your life for them and that they will trust that you died for them and that they will then commit their hearts to you to trust and serve and obey you. God, please save even today those that don't know you, those that are trying to do this world without you. Help them. Help them. Convict them, Lord. Show them that they need you and that the God that they are serving is not necessarily the God of the Bible, if there's any in here that doesn't know you. Please, Lord, work in them. We pray also for us who are followers of you. We recognize, Lord, that we're still in these bodies of death, and half of what was said in these passages are impossible. We need it. We need you. And we rejoice, Lord, that you've told us what we should do, because we want to know what you want us to do. We want to obey you because you love us. You love us greatly and you bought us and you saved us. So, God, we want to follow you. We want to obey. So tell us what you want us to do. And your word does. So the good news is, Lord, we know also that your grace empowers us to do it. So we praise you and we thank you, Lord. Work in us. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. Amen.